Welcome to Conservative Patriot Nation, new members and returning members. Tonight we have another fantastic guest with some very important information. And one thing's for sure that sticks and so true, my people will perish for a lack of knowledge. And that's why we do these shows and we bring on great speakers like Scott for us to receive information. As we all know that we are in an informational war and every ammunition that we can gain of information, we will make it through. And before we get to the show, I'd like to recognize a couple of our sponsors. I'd like to recognize MyPillow, MyPillow.com, and Mike Lindell has some of the greatest products and they have an awesome organic coffee. You're not gonna get any crash. It takes away the brain fog. And if you go to MyPillow.com and use promo code CPNN, you can get up to 66% off your purchase. And last but not least, I'd like to recognize the late, great Dr. Zelenko that has given us some very strong, strong platinum, platinum bullets to fight any illness with an immune system booster. And if you go to ZStack.com and check out his products, he even has a line for kids. You go to ZStack.com and use promo code CPN, you get off 5% off your purchase. And now further to do, I would like to introduce Scott Shera. Thank you for joining us, Scott. Uh, well, thanks for having me, Mike. It's really great to be back. Absolutely. For some of the new members on here, can you just give them a brief uh, background so they can have an understanding? You bet. So my daughter, Grace, was 19 years old when she was taken away from this earth on October 13th of 2021. Grace had Down syndrome. She was super high functioning, which means in terms of Down syndrome, she could read and write, which is rare. Uh, she could drive a car, ride a horse. She played violin. You know, there's virtually nothing we didn't do with her. And she was my best buddy. She had a love for the Lord that was second to none. She she had a sense that you just, uh, you don't see in people. You see it in Down syndrome people, but not not uh, not us morals. So anyway, she um, she called me, just to give you a sense of that, she called me earthly dad. And that was something she came up with on her own. Uh, what happened with Grace was in October, she had, we had tested her with a home test. She had COVID. We didn't think anything of it because we were following the FLCCC protocols. And, you know, ultimately that protocol told us to take her to the emergency room and admit her if her oxygen went below 93%. And on October 6th, it was at 88 to 90, 89%. And, that's a piece of this puzzle that I wish we would not have done because it wasn't necessary. And, you know, we, we were measuring her oxygen. We had a pulse ox, but we had never measured her oxygen previously. So we didn't have a baseline and we trusted uh, the protocol and ultimately checked her into the hospital. But then the short story of, of how Grace was murdered is on her last day. And I'll just dive into this quick and then it'll get into a couple rabbit trails and then we'll get into our discussion tonight. But her last day on this earth, as I said earlier, was October 13th of 2021. That day started with the doctor calling my wife, Cindy, and I at home. I was at home because I was taken out by an armed guard three days earlier on the 10th of October. And 
he called because he was following up on a call he had with us the evening before requesting that we give a pre-authorization or a pre-approval for a ventilator. And Grace never needed a ventilator, nor does anybody on COVID need a ventilator, but they wanted this pre-authorization selling it as these type of things tend to happen in the, in the middle of the night. And we want this just in case. And, you know, ultimately we said no for the, now this was the fifth time. And so then he proceeded and said, well, Grace had such a good day yesterday. We should work on nutrition, which we knew she had a good day because Jessica was with her all, all day and all through the night. My daughter, Jessica, was the replacement advocate. And she said Grace's oxygen was at 98 and 99% the entire night before. So we agreed that we should work on nutrition. We approved a feeding tube. And shortly after we got off the phone with him, Jessica said to the nurse that was in the room, which the nurse had 14 years of ICU experience. She said, I'm going to take a shower. And the nurse said, well, you can't take a shower in the room. You need to go home. So Jessica ran that by grace. She's back inside of an hour. And when she was gowning up, when she got back, she overheard the two doctors and the nurse say the family's not going to like this. And what they did while Jess was gone was they strapped down to, they strapped grace down to the bed and made her poop in the bed. Interestingly, just an, you know, an hour before, an hour and a half before, the doctor said, we got to get Grace out of bed today, get her in a chair, watch TV, we'll get everything moving. And yet when Grace herself wanted help to get out of the bed, they strapped her down. They used that as an excuse to increase a dose of a sedation med called Presidex to 14 times the dose they started her on four and a half days earlier. This drug should have never been used period. And the package insert says to not use it for more than 24 hours, because if you do, it causes acute respiratory failure. And that is the first cause of death listed on Grace's death certificate. So the hospital directly caused the first cause of death by using a drug that they weren't supposed to use for more than 24 hours. Eight minutes after increasing that dose of Presidex, we found out by digging in the records afterward, the doctor put an illegal do not resuscitate order on Grace. At 11.25, they gave her lorazepam, which is contraindicated with Presidex. At 5.46 and 5.49, they gave her two more doses of lorazepam. And at 6.15, they gave her morphine as an IV push. So in a 29-minute window, she had Presidex, lorazepam, and morphine in her system, which that is the second cause of death, even though they listed COVID-19 as the second cause of death. The reality is that the morphine package insert says to never combine those drugs because they can cause death. And if you do, you're supposed to monitor the patient and have the reversal drug bedside. Neither of those things happened. No doctor or nurse came in Grace's room after they gave the morphine. Jessica then called Cindy and I at 7.20. This is an hour and five minutes later. And she was panicking. She said, Dad, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. I said, get the nurses in. And she said, I've been trying. They won't come in. And, you know, we started screaming. She estimated 30 nurses in the hallway because a shift changed. So we started screaming, save our daughter. And they hollered back from the hallway, she's DNR. That's the first we knew. What I said earlier is they put the do not resuscitate order on her, but we didn't know that. They, we found it in the records and they wouldn't come in and save her. So we watched her die on FaceTime at 727. Uh, amazing as all that sounds, uh, one more thing that is is um, hard to grasp was they had an armed guard posted outside the room during this entire time.
So no nurse could come in even if they wanted to. So that's the short story, Mike. Yeah, that's wild. Um, that's still bothersome. And uh, I can just imagine my, my brother and my sister-in-law lost my nephew when he was very young um, with from a car accident. And, and I just know the, the hurt on a parent. And uh, you have that same strength that my brother and my sister-in-law has. And, and my brother got through with, with God. And uh, no parent should have to go through that. But I do believe God, like I said before we got on, he does things for a reason because the world wouldn't have a strong advocate like yourself to bring the people information that's needed to be known, um, which some people may say, well, that sounds harsh, but in the spirit world and how our creator works, he uses others. I mean, she's probably doing a very important task right now in the kingdom while you're down here activated to do something very important as well. And uh, I know you got a lot of information. I don't want to hold you tight, but uh, I, you're going to touch on the Obama death panels as well tonight, right? Sure, I can dive right into that. It, it's really kind of a shocking thing when you put it into perspective. So, you know, this this business of euthanasia in our country has been around for a long time. We don't think about it because it's it's been hidden, but it officially got signed into law on March 23rd of 2010. That's when Obamacare became law. And the man who was the chief architect of Obamacare is Ezekiel Emanuel. And all the way back in 1996, I'm just gonna uh, read a quote from him. He said, services provided to individuals who are irreversibly prevented from being or becoming participating citizens are not basic and should not be guaranteed. So you can see the euthanasia agenda in the, in the heart of the man who was the chief architect of Obamacare. And last week I was digging into Obamacare a bit more and on uh, page 141, it specifically calls out that the doctors who are not performing the euthanasia agenda cannot be discriminated against. So I mean, it's right in, right in the law. So then you might remember Sarah Palin was one of the uh, people back in 2018 that was screaming about death panels in Obamacare. I mean, that's a scary thing. But I mean, it literally says it right in the language. So Congress at that point uh, repealed the death panels, but then what happened is on November 23rd of 2022, just a couple months ago, the Health and Human Services Secretary put in place the new death panels. And what's interesting is when there is a public health emergency, so the last public health emergency was just renewed January 11th, just a couple weeks ago, for another 90 days. When there's a public health emergency, it gives the Health and Human Services Secretary carte blanche to implement new policies without any congressional oversight. Uh, it's hard to even grasp. So we put into place this new death panel. And I believe I have the reason why. Before COVID, there were 62 million Americans on Medicare and Medicaid. Now there's 100 million. So there's a 38 million person increase in United States citizens on public health care in the three years of COVID. 
So you think, you know, they, they already have the elections wrapped up through through nefarious ways. And so why, you know, so you'd think, well, they want to get more people on free health care so that they get more votes. Well, that's not the purpose. The purpose is there's is the stated agenda with Obamacare. And the excuse that they're they're selling is that before COVID, the 62 million Americans accounted for 39% of the federal budget. So now, of course, that number is going to go up. So now we've got to do something. This is their mindset. We've got to do something to reduce costs. Yet they just, you know, you, you can't make this stuff up, Mike. They approve $1.7 trillion right before um, the new year and in, in an omnibus spending bill. And the total amount spent for Medicare and Medicaid is $2.2 trillion. So they can they can approve any crazy expense they want, print money for it, but they don't want to take care of the people who were involved making this country great. So it's very very frustrating to me. I am, was shocked when I found all of this evidence, and you know, I'm analytical. So I've got when I see something in print and it I, I and it's crystal clear, I want to get it out and share it with people because I'm hoping people can see it then as just not people's opinions. They actually can connect the dots with these these items in print. And I, I they're all on Grace's website now. So if people want to see them, I gave you the the documents too if you want to put them in the show notes. So that's the first that's the first big thing that I wanted to go through. Did you have any questions on that, Mike? Uh no, because uh you know what's funny is um we had a gentleman on here and he was talking about Obamacare. This is uh, a couple of years ago. And he was like, oh, the, the guillotines were activated under the Obamacare Act. And I'm like, huh? And I, I don't know if your research got that far. I don't know how true that was, but he did dig up some form. And um, I was shocked. And, and what you're dropping here, I mean, they, they did have a death panel for, uh, individuals and uh that's kind of scary to be honest well it's it's super scary and you know we don't think that this is real i mean you and i do but the majority of the population doesn't get this yet so i want to just frame covid so people understand what what happened during covid because when i've shared these numbers i love statistics and when i can dig into them and frame them people are convinced so the united states is number one in one classification in COVID, and that is with the number of hospital deaths. We have 1.1 million hospital deaths in the 33 or the 36 months that we've been in COVID. So that number is meaningless unless you compare it to something else. So something else is number two. Number two in the world is India. India has just over 500,000 deaths in hospitals with people diagnosed with COVID. So that's less than half. Well, their population is four times that of the United States and their footprint on the planet is only one third. They only have one third of the landmass of the United States. So what's going on? Well, the United States is got three things going on relative to COVID, which puts us at number one status. We have a shroud of secrecy. We won't let any family members in the hospital with the patient. You know, Grace's story is very unique because we were in the room. Uh, we have incentivized bonus payments to the hospital for following protocols that kill. Specifically, remdesivir has a 75% kill rate. Ventilators have a 90% kill rate. And we're incentivizing hospitals 
to use those protocols. And then the third thing that we have on top, if those first two weren't bad enough, we have immunity from liability if the hospitals follow these protocols that are statistically killing people at those rates. You know, you can't, This I, I love the phrase, you can't make this up, but this is one of those, you can't make this up. It's so egregious. And when people hear that, when I've shared with this with people who are not awake, Mike, they're like, you know, they, they, they can't wrap their heads around it. And it starts opening up the door to talk further with them, which is, which it's nice. Yeah. It's I, I sort wanna, of like they are uh, programmed to resist truth. Um, and that's what the media is good for on how they, they play their mind control games, um, which is sad, but it, I do see a little bit of information now starting to trickle, which I think some of them are starting to become a little bit aware. Um, I sense in their spirit, they're starting to sense something because I mean, <laughs> we go from being locked down, wearing masks to where now we're not wearing masks. We're in the grocery store, we're in the restaurant. People are now having house functions without telling their loved ones they can't show up to where <clears throat> when the media says, well, we might have to get back wearing masks and there's a new variant and all this, <laughs> people are starting to say, wait a minute, this does not add up. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I agree. There is some waking up, but it's I think it's going to get uh, substantially worse as things progress because as I see the the information that's being shared with the bioweapon, and I'm going to explain why it's a bioweapon in a minute, because I'm not joking when I say that. With the information that's being shared with the bioweapon, um, I believe this was all known ahead of time. And so they're leaking out this information. They're going to have some version of amnesty. They've already floated that. They're going to apologize uh, and let the whole world know we're going to get this right next time. Uh, there's they already are floating vaccines for cancer. You know, so I think that our population has a short memory. Uh, we don't have very much critical, critical thinking with young people. And I think that the next wave is even going to be more egregious than this first one. So that's my personal opinion from what I'm paying attention to uh, in the alternative media. So why do I say that this is a bioweapon? And this is so significant. Are you familiar with the Brooke Jackson case, Mike? Uh, no, I'm not. All right. So Brooke Jackson, she was a Pfizer employee and she filed what's called the False Claims Act lawsuit against Pfizer because she knew they didn't test. Okay. So she files this False Claims Act. Pfizer's defense to the False Claims Act charge is that the government knew there were no clinical trials because they had a contract with the Department of Defense, so they couldn't not defraud the government. That's their defense. Inconceivably, the federal government came to Pfizer's defense on October 4th of 2022, so just three months ago, in a, it, what's called a statement of interest supporting dismissal of the amended complaint. So the United States government, first Pfizer says we can't, there's no false claims act because we didn't have to we didn't have to do any testing 
because we have this contract with the Department of Defense. So the United States government comes in and in the the actual document, I received the actual document, Mike, and in the document, I'm going to read from it right now. It says, in short, this is from page nine and 10 of the of the uh, dismissal by the United States government. In short, the complaint does not plead factual con content to support a conclusion that compliance with the clinical trial protocol or regulations was necessary under the contract between Pfizer and the Army. And when you drill this down, you see that they were only, Pfizer was only contracted to produce a prototype, not a vaccine. So obviously there's no testing because it was never a vaccine. So that's why I'm calling it a bioweapon. This is insanity. So when people see that, when I saw the actual document, I thought, you know, right away I went, holy smoking gun, Batman. So then Man, that's uh, crazy. Oh, it's, it's mind blowing. And then earlier I mentioned that the health and human services secretary has unilateral power when there's a public health emergency. So you probably wonder, okay, how in the heck did that happen? And it happened through a series of laws over a 50 year time period. Congress is all in on this. They passed laws that made this possible. So the details behind it, I'm just gonna walk through these details. So what happens, we go all the way back, January 31st of 2020, the Health and Human Services Secretary declared the public health emergency, not the president, the Health and Human Services Secretary. The secretary gets to decide whether there's, a, whether there's a public health emergency unilaterally. So this is the one that just got extended. They have to renew this every 90 days. It just got extended on January 11th again. So what that does by extending it, it gives the hospitals, the, the bonus payments continue and the immunity from liability continues. Okay, so then what happens is on February 4th, so now four days later, the same secretary determined that there is a quote, public health emergency that has significant potential to affect national security, end quote. So what that does, once he makes that claim, it authorizes the PREP Act. The PREP Act is what gives immunity from liability. So then the immunity from liability was both for the hospitals and the jab. The jab doesn't have immunity from liability anymore because it got put on the childhood vaccination schedule. So now with those two things in place, now the FDA steps in and they have the authority to quote, strengthen public health protections once those two items are in place with emergency use authorization. So you probably heard that term, emergency use authorizations. Immediately vendors were approved under an EUA. Okay, so then what about remdesivir? How could they possibly get remdesivir approved? So the requirement to approve a drug, an EUA emergency use authorization for a drug is as follows. An EUA may be issued only if the FDA concludes there is no adequate approved or available alternative to the product for diagnosing, preventing, or treating the disease or condition. So how could it be possible when we have hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin that remdesivir got them? got approved. And I have these references on Grace's website. You know, I've connected the dots as to how the government um, took the ivermectin, uh, discredited the ivermectin studies. They did an illegal study on hydroxychloroquine so that they could get remdesivir approved under an EUA. And then finally, they gave EUA authority for the bioweapon. And as I told you with the Brooke 
Jackson case, they gave this authority and, you know, obviously it was never a vaccine. So what I just described to you is this, the single most blind, uh, um, single most um, important thing that I have found since Grace died. And that is the, the FDA legally authorized the murder of U.S. citizens through, through EUAs. Wow, that's terrible. <clears throat> Scott, could you go into the whole payment thing on um, how many deaths they need to have to receive their payment? I believe it's in the U.K. and the U.S. Yep, in the, yep that's good. In the U.K., so I, I have um, interviewed Kate Shemarani. Kate really got me into this. So I... I I was on Tim Brown's um, podcast and he had Kate on also. And so I asked him about a connection with Kate and ultimately Kate and I connected in December. And she had all the research showing that in the UK, the government is paying for euthanasia to the tune of 2000 deaths a day. And the hospitals in the UK have to hit that mark in order to break even. So they have, the difference between the UK and the United States is this is already happening in the United States also. There's between 500 and 1,000 being murdered in the United States, and that number is going to ratchet up, as I told you, because of the 100 million on Medicare and Medicaid. The difference is in the UK, they're more forthright with what's happening. So it's, it's, it's out in the public. In the United States, what we do is we project our sin onto all the other countries. We're pointing our fingers at everybody else, and we're we're the instigator behind everything. And as I showed you, I mean, they crossed every T and dotted every I so that they could legally euthanize Americans. So in the United or in the UK, it's at two thousand um, a day now. Uh, that the same drugs, interestingly, I think I may have sent you this also, Mike, but I'll just walk through it. I don't have it. I don't have it here, but I have it memorized. I mean, it's on my laptop, but I don't have it in front of me. But in because Grace's case has gotten so big, people are contacting us regularly. And we received a, a contact from a lady in Connecticut whose Down syndrome daughter was murdered. And she was murdered on December 8th of 2021. And so she's sharing this information with my wife and I. And then she says, well, she was taken out by uh, fentanyl, midazolam, and verconium bromide. So she types in those wow. drugs into the computer. She types those drugs into the computer and she finds out that there was a group of doctors on April 6th of 2020. So now we're only a month into this. They requested, those are called death row meds. The meds Grace died with are called end-of-life meds. That's what you use in hospice care. These are called death row meds, fentanyl, midazolam, and verconium bromide. So she types those into the computer. It pops up this letter that was written April 6th that was headed by Dr. Joel Zyvet. So him and a, a series of other doctors signed this letter, sent it to all the states that have death by lethal injection to the inmates. And they requested all those meds. They said, we have a shortage. We need these meds to treat COVID. So send us all your meds. Another one, you can't make this up. And so she finds the letter. The news got a hold of that. They reported it in the news on April 14th, but they didn't report it as a negative. You know, we we have all been fooled. You know, they, they literally got away with murder. 
uh, during this whole COVID thing, but it's been planned for a long time. This was just the excuse to see how we would react. Yeah, they say, uh, I believe in 2015, they had a COVID-19 stimulation in New York. Um, Correct. And I don't want to murder her last name, but uh, Judy has shed light on certain things with this vaccine being uh, signed off to Wuhan and to make it more penetrational for humans. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely align and agree with you that it was planned for a long time. Um, I just think they miscalculated. I, I think they thought someone else was going to be in power to where I believe it was going to be a lot worse if that would have took in place. Um, but there's one more thing I would like for you to shed light on if you can. Um, the guy, the gentleman from Green Bay that you helped save his life and, and that form. So this is, is quite, it's another, um, it's, it's an absolute miracle that this happened. And, you know, when, when you start, um, realizing your responsibility once your daughter's gone, you just, you don't want your daughter's death to be in vain. And we've had many people who have said that they, they have loved ones that have survived because of Grace's death. But this was a direct one that my wife and I were involved in. This man's name is Robert Pazer. Uh, his sister called me on November 3rd. And so this is after, remember I said about the uh, public health emergency was was re-upped on January 11th. So right before, the one before that was re-upped on October 13th, the one-year anniversary of Grace's death. So this shows you the stuff is still going on. And so this was this was just three weeks after the public health emergency last time was re-upped. So the hospital still getting the bonuses, still having immunity. So his sister called me on November 3rd. She had seen our billboards and got a hold of a friend of a friend and ultimately was able to connect with me. She said, can you help? I said, what do you have going on? She said, my brother is in a hospital in Green Bay and he's disabled. I said, well, tell me more. And she said, he has SMA, which is spinal muscular atrophy. He's 44 years old. He's very smart. Um, it's a degenerative, dis degenerative disease. And he is in a wheelchair full time. Uh, his body is contorted. He's fed with a tube in his stomach and he only weighs 40 pounds, four zero. So I said to her, I said, uh, his, her name is Heather. I said, Heather, you're going to think that I'm a whack job, but I'm just going to be blunt. I said, they are going to try to kill him. To my surprise, she listened. And so she said, what do I do? I said, you've got to be a strong advocate. You're not an advocate to keep him, um, uh, not to hold his hand so that he doesn't get lonely in the hospital. You're an advocate to save his life. So I said, no DNR, um, no remdesivir, no ventilator, no jab. And I said, is your personality strong enough you can do that? And she said, yes. I said, who's with him now? She said, my mom, who's the full-time caregiver. So the next evening, I was already in bed, 11 p.m. Friday evening, she texted me he's out, that he's already been given remdesivir. So in the morning, I got up, I immediately got a hold of her and said, this went from urgent to an emergency. And Robert was still a little bit, uncomfortable because, you know, the doctor told him, and literally, I'll, I'll just fast forward, the doctor told him, 
you have COVID. The good news, the good news is we have a an antiviral. You'll be better in three days. Most of our my patients are better in two. And that antiviral was remdesivir. So the doctor directly lied to him. So I, I emailed Heather some documents showing her remdesivir is a killer. She showed them to Robert. Robert asked her, can you see if Scott will come in? She called me and I said, I'll be there in a half hour. So I drove to the hospital. Um, on the way, uh, I talked with Laura Bartlett, who does the hospital rescues. Uh, before that, I talked with Greta from Protocol Kills because she's already done hospital rescues. I never did one, so she coached me. Uh, Laura sent me the medical directives form, which you're referencing, and that I've sent you. You can put in the show notes, and it's on Grace's website also. But ultimately, that medical directives form, when you get into the hospital, you know, you've got a, the patient and the power of attorney has to agree to it. So I sit down. Well, first, when I got to the hospital, I, you know, you're shocked. I'd never seen a 40 pound man. And, you know, so I got down next to him. I gave him a hug. I got on my knees and prayed with him. And he looked me in the eye. And this is the moment of truth right here, Mike, is he said, Scott, please don't leave me. And I said, I won't. And what happened next so now we went through that form with Robert, all these directives, and he agreed to each one. His sister, his power of attorney, signed it. But before we gave it to the doctor, I wanted to make sure we had a game plan. So um, I have met uh, and talked with, you know, had one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations with Peter McCullough, with Paul Merrick. And so I thought, I need some help from these guys to know what am I supposed to do to revive him because he's near death. So I got a hold of Peter McCullough. And he didn't have time, but he said, get a hold of Merrick. So I got a hold of Paul Merrick. He called the hospital room. I texted him. He called the hospital room five minutes later. He walked us through the dosage of ivermectin, NAC, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc. And then he said, get him on a bunesonide um, treatment. So I called my wife. I told her to bring in my ivermectin, my NAC, all my stuff. And she, of course, objected right away because she knew what it was like when we when we had Grace in the hospital. Everything is on lockdown. And I told her, we have complete freedom. Just bring this stuff in. So she brought it in. Um, we start getting everything ready. Now we have a meeting with the doctor. When the doctor came in, Mike, he had a spacesuit on, literally. So, I mean, everything, you know, he had a beard, so it was around his beard and it, you know, just all sealed up to make it look like this thing is super contagious. I didn't wear any of the stuff in the room. I wanted Robert to have a confidence that you don't need to have this garbage on. So we go through the medical directives form with the doctor. And the next time he came in, he didn't have anything on. He knew the gig was up. I mean, he didn't have to lie anymore. And amazingly, 45 minutes after we delivered that directives form and went through it with the doctor, a nurse came in with a COVID flu jab for Robert. So of course, you know, that was on the medical directives form, but they don't, they're, they're just gonna keep pushing. So we said, no, we're, we already said, we're not doing this stuff anymore. So we started getting, um, we got Robert out of bed, gave him a sponge bath, started giving him the, the um, ivermectin and we broke apart the capsules, got it in his, his tube. Uh, he, he got a budesonide treatment. And by about one o'clock in the afternoon, I had gotten to the hospital about nine, by about one, one thirty, we could see him turning. We thought, you know, at the beginning, I thought there's no way he's going to make it. He had already gotten three doses of remdesivir. And when I looked at the dosages, he really got six doses, dosages because of his body weight. So remember three doses 
is 75% kill rate. And then I do the math, see he's got six doses. I thought he's a goner. So uh, we actually recorded him talking about what the doctor told him, the lie the doctor told him, thinking that he's not going to make it so that the family could have this. Well, then he starts turning around and then he got a budesonide treatment. And I mean, all of a sudden you could see he's gonna make it. We watched a miracle in front of our eyes. It was fantastic. So he got the second budesonide treatment and then we let the hospital know we're going, we're leaving. And then the objection started. The, the doctor said he's not he's not discharging him. Um, if we leave, it's going to be against medical advice. We said we don't care. We're leaving. We're out of this this place that's trying to kill him. And then the last piece I want to share is so this is about uh, eleven and a half hours later. So it's about eight thirty at night. They would not remove the IVs. That's how belligerent they were. So there was a shift change. There was a nice nurse that came on. She agreed to remove the IVs. And before, now we're all packed up and she would, the nurse was in the room. And I said, you know, I don't know that I'll ever have this opportunity again. So I'd like to ask you a question. And I said, you know that they were going to try to kill Robert. I said, you don't have to acknowledge that. I'm not expecting you to acknowledge it. But the question I have for you is, how could you participate in this? And she said, I'm, I'm from the Philippines and I'm here on a visa. And if I don't do everything that they tell me, I'll get deported. So this is what we're up against. This is not a joke. Robert would have literally died if we did not get to the hospital. That's how important it is. This form is important, but a form doesn't replace the physical advocacy. You have to have somebody in that hospital that is on everything, just like your mom. Your mom was her own, her own advocate. And some people can be their own advocate, but if you can't, you've got to have somebody just like your mom as an advocate so that nothing goes in your body that you do not know what it's for and that you have approved. So that's the, that's the story. Wow. That's amazing. Um, you're still, are you still in touch with him? Oh yeah. He's, he's become a friend. He actually is the one who found when I was doing the research, I was so short on time when I was doing the research on the uh, new death panel, he's the one who found the document. Wow, I would I would like to bring him on if if he's uh open for it. I'm sure he would be. Uh he's uh he's been we him and I have done a couple of interviews together already. But yeah, I mean I think it would be great to have him on by himself. He he does a great job. He's he's uh he'll tell the story better than me. Yeah, that's awesome. Whenever we can hear stories like that, I mean and and you know the the thing about it is a lot of people they ask, you know, what can we do and we need to be doing more i mean and that's why shows like this are important and and receiving information you know and and asking questions because what you did you didn't you didn't fold under pressure and you said you know what i've seen this before and it's time to move and you made the right calls i mean god activated you for a reason to uh connect with so many different people um, and Kate Sharami, um, she's an awesome person. We've had her on here uh, a couple times. And it's just amazing how God puts people 
he brings people to you when you receive the information on the fight that he wants you to go in the path. And that's an awesome story, Scott. Well, I, I mean, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I mean, if I would not have first, if grace would not have died, then I, I would have never met any of these people. And if I wouldn't have known these people, you know, Robert would have died. I mean, in, in the sequence, you know, God's in charge. You can't make up that sequence of events. No, and that's when you realize, and, and I, don't, I don't want to come off harsh, but Grace's death had more meaning in the spiritual realm because everything that, when, when it comes to that story, it wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't by accident. And, and God probably was testing you. Okay, are you gonna are you gonna help this situation with the knowledge and the people I put around you? And, and you really took action. And and I heard that story, and I'm like, man, that is amazing. Like, it's it's really amazing. And I put those. Uh, documents on the wall for anybody that if you would like to grab those documents and um if you guys have a loved one or a friend in that situation or if you come across a stranger or whatnot it's important to to give them that form and explain exactly what scott just shared with us i mean i'm still like wow that's so amazing because this is the stuff i want to hear Oh, it's, I mean, to experience a real life miracle. I mean, it's just like, oh, it was, it was so awesome. I have, uh, I've seen several miracles in my life, but not, not a human life. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was neat. And I mean, what a, what a great guy Robert is. You know, he, yeah, you know, he said to me at Christmas time, he said, I'm able to celebrate Christmas this year because of your daughter, Grace. And that's amazing. Uh, there's a friend that I, I have in Burlington, Wisconsin, and uh, his father was at the hospital and his father started, you know, was, you know, he would talk to his father and his father's like, yeah, you know, for some reason at night, it seems like I have a hard time breathing. I don't know what's going on. And then one night it was about 2 a.m. He said he called him up. He says, hey, these people are trying to kill me. Come pick me up. So he went there, pick up his father, and as his father was running to the doors to him, the medical people grabbed the father with security, pulled him in the hospital. He's like, you know, I'm not going to say the verbal things that he said, but he's like, you know, let my father go. You know, he wants to go home. There's, oh, no, he can't. He has COVID, blah, blah, blah. They call the police. Police kick him out, and his father is dead two days later to where... um if, 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 and I can't kick myself because I know everything's in God's timing and, and God does things for a reason. But if I knew about the forums early on, I, I could have helped him. But um, that's why we're doing this show now. And hopefully this reaches a lot of people. And anyone that listens to this podcast or that's on here, share this information, you know, um, if we just share information, we can get through this and we can save more lives. And uh, Scott, if you have anything else, 
there was one thing I, I want to, uh, was it Marathon Medical Field? Are they like uh, having hard times or something like that? If I can remember in, in some oh, of the information. Mar- the, Marshfield. In, yeah, I sent that also because this is another piece of the puzzle. Good good memory, Mike. So one of the, the tele um, hospital service of Marshfield Hospital shut down. Uh, you know, so this is going to be the trend. You know, as people get wise to these hospitals, they're not going to go, right? And so then, you know, the, the government is going to step in to sub, to supply support to the hospitals. This is part of that euthanasia agenda. It's a, the same pattern as the UK. So these hospitals have to stay profitable. So how are they going to stay profitable? You know, as they they have to shut down because people aren't using them, we're going to be going to alternative cares. You know, I'm I don't go to a regular doctor anymore because of what happened to Grace. You know, and and people are getting wise to it. So uh, that's why I shared that about the that division of Marshfield Hospital System shut down. So it's it's going to happen across the country, and you'll see the government step in and. Um, support this euthanasia agenda. I mean, it's going to be implemented, I believe, through nursing homes, um, through hospice care, through through um, ambulance services. I can't, <laughs> what is it called, the guys that are in the ambulance? The, um, yeah, I just have, I have a mind fart right now. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's something else. And as the world keeps learning more about natural wellness and something that these uh, evil people never wanted us to really uh, know about, the more that we start learning about natural medicines and uh, some of these healing technologies, which I had the opportunity to interview a Christian doctor out of Minnesota, um, Dr. Kevin Connors, um, there's been a lot of good results. I'll, I'll just leave it at that with those that had stage four cancer. I know someone personally, her daughter had stage four and the cancer spread throughout her whole body. And she's telling me this story, you know, I'm delivering to her and she's telling me the story. And I've had many of my my grandfather, uncle, a lot of my Sicilian family has passed away from cancer. And once you hear stage four, it's like you got six months to a year to live. And so I was like, uh, and I felt I felt weird by saying it, but I'm like, is your daughter still alive? And she started laughing and she's like, oh yeah. She's like, my daughter's five years cancer free. And I said, what? And I'm amazed because like I said, I had many family members and when it hit stage four and they said it spread through the body, I mean, usually there's no coming back from that. And I'm like, well, could you please explain to me how that was possible? And she goes, Oh yeah, she has this device. On this device has it, it, it's it's um set for about I want to say six hundred different viruses or diseases. It even had COVID nineteen on there, and all her daughters sleeps next to this tube. And while she's sleeping, 
uh, it's said to kill the cancer cells and her daughter is five years cancer free. And I'm like, God tells me right then and there, you can't leave here without getting this information. And, um, we have been blessed to have him on here several times, but this is the stuff that, you know, people don't want us to know. Um, but God is more powerful. You're you're spot on with that. I mean, the the number of people that I've met in this fight that um, that have known cancer cures, they're I've changed my complete view. You know, if I did a man on the street interview, Mike, and just asked uh, 99 people out of 100, if you got cancer, what would you do? They would say chemo and radiation because that's how we've been programmed. And by far and away, the single most important thing Grace did, as far as me personally, is to wake me up to how much I have been programmed. Uh, I cannot believe that. You know, I, I thought that I was on the um, analytical, intelligent end of the spectrum, but I did not ask enough why questions. I believed believed things that I should have never believed, and I would have answered chemo and radiation too, but I, I'm not going to answer that anymore. Well, when you really look at it, uh, we were all there at some point, and uh, God definitely activated a lot of us. Um, through the trauma we all have been through the trauma every last one of us during this pandemic uh during riots during chaos during a rigged election um we've all had to deal with the trauma and through usually through trauma it activates you um it's either going to activate you to the right or to the left and and that's not a political term, so pe- people don't take me out of context. But I think we're all having an awakening right now, which is amazing. Everybody has their own individual story on how they awaken. And God definitely is using you. He uses all of us. And he works in mysterious ways, like I said before, which may sound like a broken record, but if you didn't go through your situation, you would not have been able to save the man's life in Green Bay. And it's not a coincidence. Um, No matter how you try to wrap your head around it, you're not going to figure it out, but you're going to know that God played a part in it. And it's it's a pleasure to have you on here. Um, Um. I don't know if you want, if you have anything else that you would like to provide for the audience, or if you want to go into Q and a, um, that's your call, Scott. It's all your yeah. time here. I think Q and a would be fantastic, Mike. Awesome. If any members have a question, if you press the hand raise button, we can call on you. And right now we have twisted minds. Your mute is, your mic is unmuted. Hello. Um, I didn't catch everything. I kind of came in. um, I did hear the story of the young man you were talking about. My question is, and I don't know your background. I'm sorry. Um, A lot of people are talking about all the machines and and doing alternative treatments and things now. Um, I guess my 
question or concern is for people who are disabled or, you know, fixed incomes that don't have that kind of money to get these other treatments. I mean, what do they do? Because, you know, we don't want to go to the hospital either, but what's our choice? I mean, I, I have cardiac issues. I could have a heart attack at any time. And, you know, I don't have anyone to advocate for me if, you know, I go unconscious. So what's our solution to help each other to achieve, you know, these kind of treatments for those who want them? That's a, I don't have a lot of answers to that question, but I have some. So one of the things that I believe that everybody should do is, is some advanced prep. And so, for example, on Grace's website, we have the hospital hostage hotline. So, you know, it's, that's free to anybody that, that wants to use it. And, you know, so to have these resources, to have your documents ahead of time, your power of attorney documents, to have the medical directives document, um, to have advocacy that it's arranged ahead of time is critical because once you're in the hospital, it's too late. You know, then it becomes a real emergency. So I think the advanced prep is the, by far and away, the most important piece of the puzzle. As far as the financial piece, um, it, as I have seen, you know, it, it's a lot, there's a lot more giving than I would have ever, ever thought possible, even from myself. I mean, we, every single penny this last year, I mean, we're not, we're not doing anything other than spending it on getting this word out. So um, are you involved with a church? I am not. I mean, I'm not, I'm not telling you, you should be, but I mean, it, it's churches, this is the time that they should be stepping up. And if they're not, it's, it's uh, telling you it's, it's not the right church because a church should take care of its members, whether it's a two person church or a 200 person church, they should take care of their members. So I would certainly encourage you to associate with other believers. I think that's, that's imperative because there's a network of people that are willing to help when the when the need arises. Um, I think the the most important piece of everything is to change all of our paradigms as far as what our belief with thinking the system will take care of us. If you you start with the system will not take care of us, all of a sudden by definition you start advanced planning. And I think that's critical. You know the story with Robert um, was truly a miracle because there was no advanced planning done. So that was truly a miracle. And I don't, I don't, it's not that God's, God's still in the business of providing miracles, but he also wants us to be responsible and all of us can do a better job of it, advanced planning uh, as soon as you realize the system is not designed to take care of us. I just have to say I was an RN and it's really you know, to wake up and realize what was really going on. I mean, I, I used to question a lot of things. I saw patients, I had patients, took care of them who were ill and they came in the hospital and the problem was too many medications. Yeah. You know, and it just, it, it, it's just disgusting. I, I agree. I mean, there's very few medications that are objectively necessary. Most of them can be most most situations that people have can be taken care of with diet and supplements. And uh, 
that's just a fact. I mean, our, our whole society is driven towards meds because the people in big pharma and the government, they want to get rich off of our sickness. All right. Uh, Joby, you're up and lightning. You're after Joby. Hi. Um, I've got a question for you. Um, what do you, do you think COVID is real or, um, is COVID, um, the, the kill is in the hospital? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I, I think COVID is real. I don't know what it is, uh, but I think it's real. And I can say that because, you know, my daughter's dead. I don't know if she had COVID. I know I went into the hospital three days after Grace died with um, some uh, awfully weird symptoms, things I've never had before. And, and I had a blood chemistry parameter called D-dimer which is the propensity of your body to clot. And that number was off the charts. A walk around number is 500 and mine was at 23,000. So, you know, that is a symptom of COVID. So what is COVID? Is it, is it venom, a virus? You know, it's never been isolated in a lab. I don't know what, I don't know exactly what it is. It's something, but it is certainly not what what it was purported to be. I mean, the propaganda campaign, that's a piece we didn't talk about, Mike, but propaganda was legalized in the United States for the government to use propaganda to lie against its citizens in 2013. And the propaganda campaign with COVID is the real enemy. Uh, it isn't COVID itself. So, I mean, when you have a fear campaign that is stirred by propaganda, you do some crazy things. So, I mean, I I certainly had, uh, I was sick with something and my daughter was sick with something. The symptoms and the, the blood chemistry parameters are uh, something I've never experienced before. So, I'm not a doctor, but right, I, right. Yeah, I um, do well, I'm doing an awful lot of reading and studying. Exactly. Um, now, with someone that needs to go in the hospital to have like a um, outpatient surgery, um, what would you recommend them doing beforehand? Um, I would recommend that they get a medical power of attorney in place. They have a trusted person that would be that would go along with them. Um, that they fill out the medical directives form and make sure they give that to the doctor who is performing the surgery, I would absolutely not allow them to test me for COVID beforehand. Um, and then after all of that, I would tell them to prepare if there's any chance of blood loss that they prepare for the surgery ahead of time because you do not want the vaccinated blood. So we have a link on Grace's web website to help people prepare for you know, there's, there's not unvaccinated blood banks at this point, and I don't know that there ever will be. We'll see. Time will tell. But I mean, you can certainly prepare with your own blood if there's a if there's that type of risk. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Hi there, Scott. Your story is harrowing, and you are a true angel and hero. Um, I'm one of the folks who won't be stepping foot in a hospital or seeking conventional medical assistance for anything um, for the foreseeable future, probably my life. But I do have a question for you, please. Two questions. What is Grace's website? 
It's OurAmazingGrace.net. It's actually on the wall, too. Oh, thank you so much. And my second question is, is and thank you to the hosts, do you have any idea when and who approved remdesivir? Yes, it was uh, when it was approved. Um, I don't. Rem I'd have to go back and look at the date. I think it was in um, October of 2020. So that whoever was the FDA um, authority, they approved it under an emergency use authorization. And what's what's strange is that. Uh, you know, after all the evidence was in on remdesivir through the hospital stays, they extended the authorization in April of 2022 so that it was the only um, drug that could be used for patients uh, that were over 28 days old. You know, so they extended the authorization instead of stopping it. So the FDA approved it through an emergency use authorization, but I don't know the person. You know, and thank you so much. And with remdesivir, too, um, it ended the Ebola study, right, by killing something like 16 people. Yeah, I mean, it, it's ridiculous that that got approved as the, the only drug to treat COVID. And then there's a couple of, I went into the emergency use authorizations, and there's a couple other ones. Uh, oh, it's, it's, it's horrendous. So toxalizumab is another one. So very few people have heard of toxalizumab. I'm familiar with it because they wanted to put grace on it. And I researched it and realized this is not a drug that you want to put anybody on. The placebo group did better than the, than the, um, test group. And I showed the doctor the study from the New England Journal of Medicine. He got mad at me. And I know why. I Because I saw the lady from Connecticut who I referenced, I saw her medical records and she got toxalizumab. And one dose of toxalizumab was $22,000. Wow. Thank you so much for your time and God bless. Thank you. You too. All right, Miss America, and then for the win after Miss America. Hi, Scott. Thanks for coming back. It's great to uh, have you back. Grace is in my thoughts a lot. Thank you for not giving up the fight. Um, there is this group of, well, this the stream of knowledge that has made it to the to our end of people that are taking money in regards to family members dying and then being relocated, so to say. Uh, what's your knowledge on that aspect of it, if any? No, I don't have any knowledge on that whatsoever. And if there's something you can send me, I'd be glad to dig into it, but I don't know anything about that. Yeah, I'm just, I'm hearing things. So I was just curious. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, for the win. Looks like your mic's open for the win. I don't know if you're having mic problems. Can you hear me now? Yep. 
Yeah, yeah. Got to unmute myself, I suppose. Um, so I was saying, I'm sorry, Scott. Um, you and I, no problem. like, I agree on a lot. The thing I still just can't get past is how we got this EUA vaccine when we had remdesivir being used, hydroxychloroquine, like you said, as well as the ivermectin. For that to have happened, like, who, who gives that green light after that when there are existing treatments available? That's the, well, all the emergency or the, yeah, the emergency use authorizations are all under FDA and FDA had to disqualify ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine before they could approve remdesivir. The last paper I wrote, um, I have it on Grace's website and it's, um, it's got the details. I have the links to how they discredited ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine to be able to get remdesivir approved. You know, it's, it's in the category of you can't make this stuff up. Um, and you know, what's, what's hard for me to grasp is, is, um, even worse than that because we have, this stuff is known. We have Congress members who know this, but they don't stop it. That's when you come to grips with that literally everybody is in on this because they have the ability to stop it, but they don't. It's still being used today. And it, it's, it's hard to grasp. Thank you, Scott. And lastly, do, do you see any timeline that we could have ever been on with this thing where a vaccine was not introduced? Say, I didn't, I didn't quite catch that. Say that again, Mike. So like when COVID was brought upon us and everything, like it was like stage one was the fear factor side of everything. Get everyone scared and then roll yes. out the vaccine second. Do yes. you think there's any timeline that this thing could have played out where the vaccine was simply not rolled out? No, because that was their goal. The, I mean, when it when you look at it, when I showed the, the Brooke Jackson case, you see that it was never a vaccine. So, I mean, so the goal was to to roll this bioweapon out. So there was no timeline that wasn't going to have have it be rolled out. It was part of the plan. And it's because, you know, you've you really got to wrap your head around what is happening. And this is this was real hard for me when I first learned it. I did not know about Agenda 2030 or any of this stuff before I, before Grace was, was dead. And in fact, I only started learning about it in April, uh, five, six months after Grace died, because I was spending all the time researching Grace's records. So then you start digging into why did this happen? And, you know, so this agenda to reduce world population, it's going forward. Uh, you know, so we have a lull right now where people think COVID is over. We're back to normal. We're not back to normal. They're just, they're planning uh, phase two right now. So it's, I don't know exactly what phase two is, looks like, but uh, it's going to be worse than phase one because they got away with murder in phase one already. I agree. And Scott, you know, I was telling you about my friend uh, in Burlington and how they murdered his father and kicked him out of the hospital. He actually just popped in the chat. Hey, Rob. How you doing, guys? Yeah, I was telling Scott about uh, your situation with your father. Uh, the hospital in Appleton, you know, the same thing um, 
pretty much happened with Scott's daughter. And uh, I was telling him, because there's a, well, too bad you weren't on here a bit ago. He helped save the gentleman's life in Green Bay with a form and um, some advocacy. And I'm like, man, if I just had these forms and knew this information prior to your father, you know, I could have, I could have helped you out, but I know everything happens for a reason and God does things in ways that we don't know at the time. And, and later in time, we figure it out, but yeah, I just uh, want to introduce you to Scott, Rob. Thank you for that. Nice meeting you, Rob. You too, sir. Thank you. If anyone has uh, any more questions for Scott, um, if you press the middle button, we can call upon you. Um, I know we're a little bit over an hour now. I don't want to keep Scott up too long because I know he's got a lot of a lot of forms and research to do. Uh, I had quite a good day of research today. I, I uh, you get into a zone. You know, research is not it's not anything you, that people necessarily look forward to. But I get it. Got into a zone today, and I really got a lot done. It was it was uh, one of the better days. Well, that's definitely a good thing when you have a a good day in research. Because sometimes it can be hair pulling. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. Scott, is there uh, any websites or um, things that you want to give the audience to help them if they're looking for any inf information to save a loved one? I know I shot, I put a lot of all the documents down on the wall. Um, but if anything else that you want to give to the audience, please share. Yeah, so on Grace's website, ouramazinggrace.net, the urgent tab has the hospital rescue information. So that's always the most important. Um, the uh, If people want to get a hold of me, there's a contact us form that's on the website. And so I return every email, every call. You know, it's it's the, the most important thing is talking with people who directly need help. So don't be bashful if if you want to do that and share you know, share this information. People always ask, what can we do to help? And the answer to that question is we all have contacts in our contact list on our phones. You know, take this and share it with everybody that's on your contact list because that's that's the minimum we can all do. We're all called to do something with our talents. And so you can, that's something that all of us can do. I'm in this full time. I, but, you know, that's what I'm called to do. Not everybody's going to be called to do that, but you can certainly do that. Certainly share this with other people. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott. Like always, it's a pleasure. And uh, more information that you get, please let me know and we'll bring you back on because, like I said, we're in an informational war and information is key. Absolutely. And I will send you, um, Roberts, I'll, I'll send a, uh, text to you and Robert so that that'll introduce you at the same time. Thank you, Scott. And I'm uh, let them know. I'm looking forward to bringing them on. All right. Sounds good. You have a good night, Scott. Okay. You too. Bye.